Well, this morning would be an encouragement to you from the Scripture. Uh, it's been so encouraging to me to be in the Scriptures. I wish that there was some sort of an app that you could download what I've been in this week to your brain because it's just such a blessing. Forty minutes or so is not even enough to scratch the surface of the blessing that you have as you're in God's Word all week. But uh, this is such an encouraging passage. We have, a, we have a friend who had to go through jaw surgery. And um, it was a jaw realignment surgery. And so very in-depth and very tough surgery. They broke her jaw, realigned her jaw, wired her mouth shut. And it stayed that way for two months, I believe, is what it was. Very, very painful recovery. Uh, in the, we went to see her. She was crying. Uh, but she couldn't cry because crying hurt her jaw. Uh, it was just excruciating pain. And she had a friend who was going to go through the exact same surgery. And she begged him. He came to see her. And she just begged him said, don't do it. it it's not worth it. Well, long story short, the jaw was unwired. And eventually... Some months later, she was able to eat solid food, and she was glad that she went through the surgery, but she, if you ask her if she would ever go through it again, she would say no. The end benefit of the surgery was great, but the suffering that went through the recovery process was, was very difficult. And um, the, the end result of what it means to be in Christ and the the promises that we have to come is is great, but God did not promise our best life now. Our best is yet to come, isn't it? And Peter is is speaking to a group of exiles who are ostracized. They are um, under pressure from the government. And their life, he's, he's trying to tell them to remain faithful during difficulties. And there was all kinds of pressure. Now, you may not be facing the kind of pressure the first century Christian faces. But you're going to find situations in your Christian walk that creates tension. It could be within your family. And I'm sure many of you have experienced this, where you're the only Christian in your extended family. You get blamed for stuff and... And uh, they don't they don't like it that you're a Christian. It might be uh, your choice not to sacrifice your family life for your career because your family is more important. And so you feel pressure from your bosses or from coworkers to to sacrifice your family for your career. Or it could be uh, any other myriad of choices. Uh, it might be that you feel this pressure to remain silent because if you if you express your Christian beliefs, there's going to be negative re precautions you're but you're suffering for christ could be right around the corner either way this message is for you and the form of of peter's encouragement takes this premise because we have an eternal inheritance we can have joy even in suffering can't we because the what we have to look forward to far outweighs any temporal discomfort that we have, we have all kinds of reasons for joy. And so Peter 
encourages these Christians who are being ostracized and persecuted with just a wonderful truth. And today I want to go through verses 3 to 5 and just encourage you by what Peter encouraged the, the first century Christians with. Because we have this eternal inheritance, we can have joy. What is our eternal inheritance? And the way Peter starts it out is he says that God is worthy to be praised. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God deserves all the glory and the praise. He is the fount from which all goodness flows. Isn't it interesting? Look at the verses. Do you ever just look at how these, these men wrote these verses? How did he describe God? He didn't say, blessed be the God of the universe. He didn't say, blessed be the God who created everything. He said, blessed be God, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why would he say that? Why did he say that as opposed to something else? It is because it is Jesus who bought our salvation. It is Jesus who paid the price. But John 5.19, Jesus says very clearly that I am obeying the Father. And the Father called Jesus to suffer and die on the cross for us. And so because God initiated our salvation by asking the Son to die in our place, He's the one to be blessed because He's the one who initiated our salvation. He's the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first reason that God is to be blessed and praised is that He has given us a new birth. He's given us a new birth. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? He has caused us to be born again according to His great mercy. Believers are born again. The word is anageneo, is, is the, the Greek word, and it means to be regenerated. It's in a, it's in a passive tense, meaning it's, it's happening to you. You're, you're being regenerated. The same word is used in 1 Peter 1.23. Look down at verse 23 in your Bibles. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, since you have been born again. Now the emphasis in here is on God's initiative in producing spiritual children. Let me ask, I need to raise a hand. How many here were responsible for your own birth? Wow, nobody here. There's not one of you that that path popped out of the womb and said, man, I did a good job birthing myself. Right? Because birth is not something that we have a part in. Birth is something that happens to us. God caused us to be born again. Amen? The Bible says that salvation is of the Lord. For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. We are saved. We have new life. The old is gone. The dead man is conquered. Death no longer has a grip on us. The Bible says, Oh, death, where is your sting? It is all because of His great mercy. The reason for our new life is the mercy of God. Because let's be real. All of us deserve judgment, don't we? We deserve wrath. Can you imagine? I I do this often. Can you imagine having to pay for your sin for all of eternity? I mean... I get grumpy just if I get a toothache. 
and it just annoys me to death, or if I have a backache or whatever else, think about the pain of hell forever and ever and ever with no ibuprofen, no Tylenol, no kind of relief, nothing. You're paying for it because you sinned against an eternal God. What a terrible prospect. And yet, the Bible says that God, in His mercy, allowed us to be born again. Now, I have a a somewhat unusual hobby. It's not that unusual, but um, there might be a couple other people that have that hobby here. I like to restore old hand planes. And so, all the hand planes that I have in my wood shop are over 100 years old, except for one. I have one new one, and I hardly ever use it. I use all the old ones. Um, and so I'll get a hand plane and it'll be a little bit surface rust on it, maybe a little pitting and, uh, clean it up. And then I flatten the sole on a surface plate, get it absolutely flat. And then the last thing I do is take the blade and sharpen it down to about a 6,000 grit. It's nice and shiny. And I love running a hand plane through a piece of wood and seeing those curly shavings come off. I used to teach shop class in, in Wisconsin and I would introduce the students, the boys particularly, they're always wanting to use the power tools. You know, they want to use the table saw, the planer, all the loud stuff. But it, all of them were amazed when I'd pick up a hand plane and say, this hand plane is 120 years old, and watch what it does. And it's better than sandpaper. Why do I restore those hand planes? I restore those hand planes for a purpose. And the purpose is to use them. I don't restore hand planes and set them on a shelf and say, look at my wonderful collection. I've never, I've never been a collector. I like to use stuff. But it, it's got a definite purpose. And we have been born again to a definite purpose. And what is it? It's the next phrase in the verses. Look at what it says. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We weren't born again on a whim from God. We weren't born again just because he thought it might be a nice thing to do. We were born again for an ultimate destination, and that destination is heaven. It's being with God. It's a living hope. Life can be difficult. And so your view of eternity greatly impacts your view of this life. Think about this. Peter wrote this, to we're born again to a living hope. The Greek thought of the day was that... Um, once you die, there's just this long, cold death to look forward to. Well, that's really encouraging, isn't it? That's the Greek thought. But let me ask you a question. Is that so much different than a lot of Americans today? More and more people in our country are saying there's, there's no life after death or there's just nothingness. There's annihilationism or, or whatever else they, they choose to speak. And to me, what, how, how hopeless would your life be? And it explains a lot of behavior as well. If you believe that there is no life after death, then A, you can do whatever you want in this life because there's no accountability. That means you don't have to follow the law, right? Because there's no accountability for it. B, however, if there is no life after death, then you have to create your best life now. You have to create your utopia now. And as I've said before, whoever gets in the way of your utopia is going to be hated. So if your desire 
as I said uh, some time ago, is to a man to marry another man as a man. And you have Christians getting in your way. Then they're going to be the object of your hatred because they are in the way of what you ultimately desire. However, if you're a believer and you know that you're born again to a living hope, that puts a whole different perspective on this life, doesn't it? It means the futility. Now, we just had an election, didn't we? We did. Okay. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'm glad. We endured 10 months of of election ads only to turn right around now and endure for two months of Christmas ads. Nonstop, right? Well, anyway, um, we, we had the election. And people get so... In debt, um, I don't know what the word is, involved or, or they buy into these elections so much. And it's like life or death on election. Come on, people. Let, let me ask you, which one of the presidents is going to be in some sort of a hall, hall of fame in heaven? He's not even going to be a footnote in heaven. You're not going to care who the president is, who your congressman is when you get to heaven. And so therefore, we as believers understand that yeah, there's an election. It did some go our way, some didn't go, depending on what your political leanings are. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is that you're born again to living hope and that you're living for that living hope. That's the most important thing. And so God, we were born again by God to a living hope. Christian hope is grounded in the reality of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. And because He rose from the grave, we too will be raised like Him in glorified bodies to dwell in a new heaven and earth for all of eternity. i got to say this. It's not in my sermon notes, but I read this this week. And, and this is what a commentator said. He, said. he said, Christ is the head of the church. And because the head was resurrected, the body has to go with it. Didn't they teach you that in, they teach you that in martial arts and wrestling? Wherever the head goes, the rest of the body is going to go, right? Because the head goes to heaven, the rest of the body has to follow. We have a living hope. Now let's talk about that living hope. What is it? Well, it's an inheritance. Look at what the Bible says. It's an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And this is so wonderful. Okay? It is imperishable. It means it's not subject to decay. It's immortal. It's a fortune that can be never taken robbed, stolen, or plundered. It's an inheritance that can't be touched. It's an eternal salvation which will be revealed in the last day. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. This is a far cry from our earthly inheritances, isn't it? Oh, how wonderful it is. We're all familiar with the funny business that can happen when somebody dies. Somebody has an inheritance. We've read it in the news. We've seen it within friends, families, maybe experienced it ourselves. Somebody dies, what happens to the inheritance? All kinds of stuff happened. I, I had... My grandmother, when her uh, last parent died, her brother came in and just wiped everything out before she had a chance to go over to the house. What kind of a person is that? We know we experience that sort of thing. That is not true of heaven. That is not true of heaven at all. 
Well, you need to make sure you have the right attitude. It reminds me of the old miser. You ever heard the story about the old miser who, uh, he was just, he was a tightwad, tightwad, tightwad. And he decided that he was going to take all his money with him. And he was on his deathbed and he looked at his wife and he said, listen, I love you, but when I die, I want you to put all my money in the casket with me. So he died. And uh, the funeral, they had the funeral, open casket funeral. At the end of the funeral service, the, the funeral director was getting ready to close the casket. She said, hey, wait, wait just a minute, wait just a minute. And she slowly walked up to the casket. She had a box. And she laid the box in the casket. And she stood there for just a minute looking at it. She nodded at the funeral director and went back to her seat. After her words, her friend looked at her and said, what did you do? What were you doing up there? And she said, well, my husband told me that when he died, I had to put all his money in the casket with him. And her friend looked at her and said, you didn't, did you? She said, yes, I did. I'm a good Christian woman, and and I'm going to honor my husband. She said, I put all his money in the bank, and I wrote a check and stuck it in the casket. (laughs) We're we're familiar with the funny business that happens around people's inheritance. But this, this inheritance is imperishable. Secondly... It's undefiled. It's undefiled. Everything in this world is polluted. Undefiled means it's unsoiled, unpolluted. Everything in the world is polluted by sin, stained by sin. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul's talking about the best that this world has to offer. And you know what he calls it? The very best that the world has to offer. He calls it garbage. He says it's nothing but dung. Everything in this life will be corrupted, is subject to decay. I want to, I want to show you something here. You know what that is? That's a 2001 GMC Sierra. And um, I own one of those. Uh, that, that picture is from Car and Driver magazine in 2001. And it's a sweet car. I, bought, I did not buy that truck new. I bought it used. The guy that I bought it from told me he paid over $40,000 for it. And when I looked on Car and Driver magazine this week, sure enough, they said the sticker price was $44,000. It has every option available in 2001, and it's called the C3 edition. It's a precursor to the Denali. Well, um, I've been, I love that truck. I've had it for a few years. It's, it's, um, it's, it's at home. Here's a picture of it on Friday in the rain. Rain's a good for trucks, right? I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little rust on the door and everything. But I'm thinking about selling it, so I'm just going to offer it to you guys first. The first person that gives me $44,000 can have the truck. And why are you guys laughing? <laughs> yeah, you write me a check. Thanks, Happy. <sighs> why are you laughing? Because we all know that the day you drive the car off the lot, it doesn't have the value. You keep it long enough. Yet today's brand new envious car is tomorrow's bar, rusted bargain. Everything in life d- decays. Uh, nothing brings that home to me more than when we travel overseas. If you've ever traveled overseas and you say, see the great ruins, whether it's in Rome, whether it's uh, in Greece, uh, I'm most familiar with the ones in, in Israel. And you go to these coliseums and you go to these old palaces uh, you go to a place like Masada, or you go to Caesarea Maritima, Herod's palaces in the desert and on the sea, and you look at it and you think, wow, what was it like when they first were built? 
And you look at it now and the ravages of time has just destroyed and decayed everything that was brand new. And that's what happens to everything in this life. But the Bible says that our inheritance is undefiled And it's also unfading. That word unfading, you know, what, you know what the word behind unfading means? It means unfading. That's all it means. The idea is that it's eternally fresh. Men, would you not like to find eternally fresh flowers for your wife? Wouldn't that be great? Give her a dozen roses at, the, at uh, Valentine's Day. Pay the exorbitant price that they, they charge for those. After Valentine's Day, about a week later, you take them put them in the closet somewhere where she can't see them. Next Valentine's Day, just bring them right back out. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, don't answer that. (laughs) You'll be in the doghouse. Heaven is a place of astounding beauty that will never fade. I love the words of Revelation 21. John is looking into the eternal state. The former things have passed away. And he says... John is recording, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. I was listening to uh, James McDonald one time preach on this verse years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And he said, could you imagine what that's like? That would be like going to a restaurant and then eating in heaven and going telling all your friends, man, this new restaurant and it's awesome. You wake up the next day, you go to the same restaurant, and it's brand new again. You get to go back and tell your friends, hey, I ate at this restaurant. It's brand new. And it's just day after day, God is regenerating everything. Heaven is such a place of eternal beauty, and everything is new. We're new. Nothing fades away. The strokes of time cannot touch it because it's a timeless place. We ought to bless God and adore God and praise Him because of these precious promises So God is worthy to be praised because He's given us a new birth. But there's a second reason that He deserves praise. If you look at your Bibles, it says that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's secure. Our inheritance is secure. A promise is useless if you cannot deliver on it. Right? Um, My daughter, uh, we, we... chat back and forth our family does on an app called marco polo on our phones and um this morning she she ordered uh pizza and wings i think it was from a pizza place two and a half hours later arrived yeah she paid it the pizza was cold and the wings were burnt (laughs) they didn't deliver on their promise can you deliver on your promises Peter said that that our inheritance is certain because it is being guarded. The word kept means it's being guarded until a suitable time. And it's being kept in an unblemished condition. We know what that looks like. We've seen it with the U.S. Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and and other things. Um, and, And it's being kept in an unblemished condition. Here's a picture from Israel. Uh, that is uh, from six years ago. That is a giant menorah. I'm sure many of you have seen that menorah who've been over in Israel. I, I was told that that is $95 million in value. The glass that it's behind, by the way, it's in a, it's in a public square right by the Wailing Wall. 
It's four inch thick glass and that golden menorah is being preserved by the Jews in the Temple Institute because they believe God's promises that there will be another temple being built. And that menorah sits on display perfectly preserved until that day. Our inheritance is being kept until that day. God has that kind of power. There is no more secure place in heaven. Heaven will never know anything that will spoil. Heaven will never have a thief. Heaven will never have anything that fades. No invading army will come into heaven. Um, our inheritance is completely secure. But, uh, but some of you may be looking at me saying, you know, that's all great. And I love the promises of this whole inheritance thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure that I'm going to be there. I seem to take two steps forward, one step back. I, I, I sin so much. Um, I'm not even sure that I'm still saved today. Some of you may be asking that kind of a question. Can I tell you something? That Peter promises that not only is your treasure secure, but you are secure as well. And I want you to see this because this is great. Look at verse number 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now this is a biblical doctrine of perseverance. Don't miss this. The word guarded in this verse is a word that carries the idea of being shielded by a military garrison. It's used, same word is used in 2 Corinthians 11.32 when Paul was in Damascus and they were trying to capture Paul. The Jews had gotten the governor of Damascus to, to try to arrest him. And he says this, at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. The, the, the city was on lockdown and it was being guarded to seize Paul. And the same idea is true about our inheritance. It is being guarded. What does Romans 8 say? Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. That's verse number 1. Isn't that a wonderful promise? God does not condemn you. Verse number 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? You have the almighty, infinite power of the Lord of the universe keeping you in Him. That's the guarding going on. He is the highest courts. He is the one of most holy judgment. And He says that He is guarding you. He is saying that when He sees you, He sees Jesus Christ. And He says this. He says that He will hold you in His hand. Isn't that what Christ said? Nobody is able to pluck Him out of my hand. But some of you are saying, yes, but I'm a mess. I have sinful thoughts. And my thoughts really trouble. I had somebody text me, um, this week from my previous church, and they said, just please pray for me. My thoughts, I will never act on these thoughts, but they're wrong, and I hate the fact I'm having these thoughts. And they're feeling the weight and the guilt of that. And some of you may be saying that. Some of you might be saying, man, I have, I've really messed up with my family. Um, and some of you might be saying, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't uh, feel like uh, God, I deserve God's salvation. Well, you know what? You're exactly right. You, you don't deserve God's salvation. I want you to notice how we're being guarded because this is an important part. Look at this verse one more time. I'm going to get a little, little in depth here because this is so important that we grasp this 
concept. Look at the verse again. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Isn't that weird? We're being guarded how? What's the means? Through faith. Believers must exercise faith to receive final salvation. Faith, please listen, faith is not a one-time act. We are saved through faith and we are kept by that same faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? I'm going to have to unpack this because it, it can sound like faith is a work and faith is not a work. When you get saved, think back to the moment of your salvation for just a minute with me. When you got saved, you went from trusting in yourself to trusting who? Christ. And what does it mean to trust Christ? When you unpack that, that means you're not trusting your own righteousness to get you to heaven. You're trusting that His righteous work was enough for you to get to heaven. Isn't that true? Well, in order for you to be saved, that trust continues. Doesn't it? Answer is yes. <laughs> the, the bottom line. Because if we don't trust, we don't act... Well, that's, that's something different. But let me go back to this. How does God guard our salvation through faith? This is the question that I want to answer. I'm telling you, it's slightly... Stay with me, ready? How does He guard our salvation through faith? Do you know what He does? He protects us from unbelief. If faith in Christ is necessary for salvation, then God protects us by keeping our faith in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible says. That's His power. It's not faith in your works. It's not, it's not faith in your goodness. God guards our salvation by protecting us from unbelief. Another way of saying this, let me say it a different way. This might help you. God energizes your faith. Does that help? He energizes it. He gives us the ability to have faith. Now, you might be a little bit confused right now. So let me attack this another way. Let me attack this from the negative. What is the unpardonable sin? Unbelief. You can never go to heaven if you have unbelief. Make sense? So therefore, when you get saved, God empowers your faith. We are saved through faith. We are kept through faith. God's power protects us because His power is the means by which our faith is sustained. Now let's look at the finale here. Let's look at verse number one, or verse number five, one more time. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for what? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Would you say that since you've gotten saved, there is peace in your life? There is. Because there is no longer war between you and God. I, I'll never forget when I was saved. I 
and you've heard my testimony, so I won't belabor it, but long story short, I thought I was saved. I wasn't. And the, when God's Holy Spirit, I resisted the calling of His Holy Spirit for a couple months. And I'll never forget, I was just so miserable. And that Saturday night, laying in my bed, 3 a.m., I said, God, if I'm not saved, show me a church. And the moment that I made that decision in Sunday school to trust Christ, the weight came off and there was peace in my life. I have a question for you. Do you have complete peace? What I mean is, do you have peace between you and your neighbors? Is there peace between you and your family? You and your employer? We don't have perfect peace on this earth, do we? Right? You see, when we get saved, we do experience a little peace now. We experience a little joy now. We experience a little glory now. But the Bible says that the whole package is going to be unveiled in the last day, the day of Jesus Christ coming. When Jesus comes in the clouds, in the air, with his thousands of angels, and the trumpets are blowing, and the Bible says that we are all gathered with him, all sin, all death, all evil and wickedness has been conquered, Satan and the demons have been thrown into hell, and we live in Jesus Christ for all of eternity in heaven, we will experience final peace, final joy, final love that is inexpressible and full of glory. And that is what God is preserving us for. Amen? Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon on love from 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the things that he brought out in that sermon was how that when we get to heaven, we will, for the first time in our life, experience perfect love. And what I mean is, what he meant, I should say, is that when we get to heaven, we will experience the love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has for the Father, and all that. We will no longer have to hide. Now, I'm looking at people that have been married for a really long time, and I guarantee one of the things that saves your marriage is that you don't tell your spouse everything that is going on up here. Why are you laughing? Right? Because we have to hide because we're sinful. Won't it be nice when we get somewhere where we can be perfectly loved telling every thought that's on our mind, every thought that's on our heart. And that's just one dimension of heaven. And that is going to be revealed in the last day. What a glorious time that will be. Oh, the magnitude of what God has done is incomprehensible. Listen to this. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is what we're in. We're not among them, but we're in them right now, right? We're among them, but not part of them among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And listen, this is what we were. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The word children of wrath 
Literally, he's talking about destination. We're children destined for wrath. And the very next words, two words are what? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, with which He loved us, made us alive to a living hope. Amen? Oh, what a wonderful promise. We are so blessed. If you're here, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are so blessed. And all this is because of His mercy and His love. He's the source of our salvation. We didn't deserve it, but now we have an inheritance. We have a living hope that can never fade, never spoil, never be stolen. It is secure. It's being guarded. And most of all, we are secure. We are guaranteed this inheritance. And that's how Paul can say at the end of his doctrinal section of Romans, Romans 11, I believe it's verse 32, for from Him and to Him and through Him are all things to Him be glory forever and ever. Now, dear Christian, I want to close. We have so much to be grateful for. The trials of this life, and it doesn't matter if the trials are brought in because of who you are as a Christian, or if they're because you're in a body that's decaying and you're having health problems, or because we all live in a fallen world and people aren't getting along or anything else. The trials of this world pale in comparison to what we're going to get up there. And Peter wants to encourage the Christians. So let me ask you a question. Are you keeping your eyes up there? Now, you may not be experiencing the trials because of your Christianity. And we, we live a very comfortable Christian life. And it's easy to get our eyes off of there and get our eyes down here. I want to encourage you, keep your eyes up there. We thank you, Lord, for our inheritance. I know that there was not a ton of practical application, but Lord, it didn't need it. You're so awesome. You're so worthy to be praised. I thank you for the the singing that we had on the glories of heaven. I thank you for being able to look at this passage and just um, look at all the elements of it and see how glorious your salvation is. And Lord, I ask, I plead with you to make us a people who have our eyes on Jesus Christ in heaven and our eyes off of the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.